Hello and welcome to the pod of never. This is your host, Matthew Nyes. This is the podcast where I talk to creatives in their work and their process and more. This is a really fun episode for me personally, and I'm sure it is for you. This is with Chris Browder from the band Mansions. I've been a fan of Mansions for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. And, um, and it's funny how I had the opportunity to talk to him is I follow him on Instagram and he posted a picture of an amp, an amplifier, uh, a, a Vox Pathfinder. And I was in a market for um, an amplifier. You know, I had sold mine last year during the pandemic and I want a new one. And I saw him post that and I'm a big fan of Vox's and I actually struck up a conversation with him about this uh, guitar amp. And it turned into like me just wondering, I wonder if he would want to be on the podcast. Because if you're a fan of Mansions, and uh, I'm sure you are if, if you're listening to this, uh, he and his wife Robin are have been very prolific uh, with the band. And um, with amazing songs. Um, I really, really love everything he does. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, so I was just wondering if, if he'd want to come on, and he wanted to, to my surprise. So, um, yeah, we just, we just we were just talking uh, you know, a couple days ago, and, and we recorded the conversation. Uh, we talk about his uh, songwriting process, how it differs from the beginning and to where it is now. Um, also, his experience uh, working with uh, Mike Sapone, the, the producer, who's done um, such records from Brand New and Osa Oso, and also New Best Friends and the things that he's learned from that. Um, and also we talk about um, how he learned to record himself. Um, his uh, his album, uh, Dig Up the Dead, he recorded that himself. And so we talk about that as well. And also where he is now in his um, musical career and balancing that with a nine to five job. And it was just an amazing conversation and we had a lot of fun. And, you know, I, and I hope, uh, we, we keep, we keep chatting maybe I'll bring him back on in the future and, and, and nerd out some more. So, um, again, great conversation. And if you're a fan at all, uh, I think you will really like this conversation. Um, and if you don't know me again, my name is Matthew Nanas. Nice to meet you. I play music under the moniker Swans of Never. Um, not too unlike, um, what Chris does in mansions. Um, as of right now, I'm, I'm a one man show and, um, and I just finished my first song in about six months. And, um, and I wanted to play it for you before the conversation. And if you're not interested, just go ahead, skip forward. Not, I'm not offended, <laughs> but if you like bands like uh, Saves the Day, um, Jimmy Eat World, I, I think you would like what I do. Um, on this particular song, uh, I have the drummer from The Used, Dan Whitesides. I've known him for a long, long time, um, you know, around the, the Salt Lake music scene, and he was kind enough to, to play drums on it, so I was really happy about that, and I think it came together very well. So before the conversation... I'm going to play this song. So if you like it, go ahead and go to Spotify, follow me there or Apple music, whatever you like, follow me. Cause the, the, the song will be up very, very soon and you can have it in your release radar or, or whatever other, uh, way Apple does it. I'm a Spotify guy. What can I say? And if you like what you hear, go ahead and follow me on the socials. I'm on Twitter at swans of never and on Instagram at Matthew Quen Q-U-E-N is the middle name, and Nanez, N-A-N-E-S. 
And if you really like what I do, you can support me by contributing to my Patreon or checking out my merch, and links to those are in the show notes. So, without any further ado, here's the new song called Work, Baptize Me When I'm Dead. And right after that is the interview with Chris Browder. Enjoy. I am a stereotype. I am classified. My worth is only what I am in my mind. If this all comes down to paychecks a day. Dig Up the Dead um, in, in New Best Friends that, that I 
I became familiar. And then there's a, uh-huh. there's a clear delineation of how you're writing. At least it seems to, at least it seems to me. So I just kind of wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. So, um, so yeah, so I think my first, the, 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 the first time I ever seen you was like, I was on YouTube way back in the day and you were posting videos of yourself in your room in uh, Kentucky. Am I right? Are you out of Louisville? Yeah, I think I think most of that stuff would have been in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So, what what began your interest in just uh, writing songs and in in playing the guitar? What's the history behind that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know what quite did it. Like, I got into like popular music kind of late. Like. In my house growing up, you know, we would listen to, like, oldies and stuff like that. But it wasn't until, like, middle school I got really into, like, Christian ska. Um, okay. That was that like, was my jam. Like, Supertones? Like, OC Supertones? Was that your jam? Yeah, like, Supertones, Five Iron Frenzy. Five Iron Frenzy was my main uh, jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then that opened up to, like, MXPX and, like, that kind of world, too. Um but so, like, when I was in middle school, I started getting into music with that, and I had a buddy who wanted to start a band, so I learned to play bass to, to play in that. Um, and I always liked making stuff. Like, when I was a kid, I'd do a lot of, like, crafts and things like that. Um, I got into, like, making, like, videos or, you know, like, movies and stuff like that for a while, too. And so I think I always liked that, um, you know, just having an idea and turning it into something that wasn't there before. And so, like, it was fun to play in bands with people, but I was always more interested in, like, trying to make something, you know? So mm-hmm. so even when I was just, like, playing bass in a band, I would still, like, you know, at least write a couple songs that we would do. Um, and then that turned into me... I got really into Foo Fighters uh, mm-hmm. when I was in, like, early high school, you know, like, Color and the Shape, and uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose were, were big ones for me. And the whole idea, especially with that first Foo Fighters record that like he had recorded all himself, yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. So this is like a thing you can do. You can <laughs> just like play all the instruments. So I like taught myself drums and got like a shitty drum kit and, uh, you know, taught myself guitar from bass and just like started recording things with like the free version of Pro Tools that you could do like pretty minimal stuff. Um, and so I just started doing that and that, like, I became pretty obsessed with it immediately where, um, you know, I still played in other bands for a while, but eventually every band I was in was like one that started as like my thing of like recording all the stuff and making the songs and then having friends to play it with. Yeah. So when you got your free version of Pro Tools, cause that was, I'm trying to do like the, the math here and when that could have been, that's like. Is that early 2000s that you're getting your hands on this? Yeah, like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so it was like this free version of Pro Tools that you could download. This was back when like you had to have the Pro Tools hardware to be able to use Pro Tools. Mm. But, but the free version you didn't. You could just record in like in the microphone jack in your computer. Yeah. Um, and you could only record eight tracks. Uh, so it was like a really great education because like yeah. you... I feel like what's tough about digital music stuff now is that like you have so many options, mm-hmm. you know, you can just keep working on it forever, but just having like eight tracks and where you can record a maximum of two tracks at once. So like 
we'd record drums and we'd have to like run it through a mixer mm-hmm. to like get a good stereo mix. And it's like, yeah, this is what it's going to be. You're not going to be able to tweak that bass drum later. Um, and you couldn't, there weren't like plugins at that time. Yeah. I remember doing some reverb where it was like destructive editing where you'd like process it through with reverb. Yeah. And it's just cool to figure out how to make something with only eight tracks, you know, where you've got like, the background vocals popping up on a guitar track that you're not using during a different part and stuff like that. That almost seems like, you know, at least at that time, cause the Beatles were doing that stuff when, when yeah. that technology, like the eight track technology became available to them and they grew and grew. They were always mixing down those, those tracks and adding some weirdness. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, especially if you listen to those like original mixes on their records, like stuff's like popping in and out on the left and right. And, it's kind of crazy like to understand that they were bouncing those things down and then just going and going and going roll with it. Yeah. In, in pro tools. I mean, YouTube wasn't a things cause there's like t- tutorials all over the place right now. Cause right now, so back yeah. in those days I was using, I don't know if you remember N track studio. I don't know how I came across oh. it, but that's how I started to learn. Like I had a four track tape that my mom bought me when I was at a junior high didn't know yeah. how to use it. I wish I still had it now because maybe like it's like what? Because everyone's yeah. Now it's cool again. Yeah, now it's cool <laughs> again. But um, but then I found this and I was starting to put put together those um, put together songs on on that program. And there's there's nothing out there to tell you about mixing. You know, you mm-hmm. would like hope to run into like an interview or like a magazine, and hopefully they talk yeah. about it. You just kind of roll with it. Was it just kind of a, a thing where um, you were just recording these songs and, and, uh, experimenting. And if it sounded good, it sounded good. Basically, I think it's that kind of like, you know, where you're young enough that like, you don't know better and you don't care that you like, you're not even like aware that you don't know any better, Mm -hmm. you know? So like in my head, I was probably like, yeah, this sounds like that Jimmy world record or something, you know, like, Oh yeah, this guitars are great. Um, and it was kind of cool. Cause like, like mixing is cool and fun. Um, and as much as like, you know, I spend hours and hours like tweaking EQs and like everything like that. But I think it was really good while I was starting to like not have all of that Mm -hmm. where you're just trying to get a sound that you like while it's recording and then you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't sound good, like you should record it again and like having, just those limitations I think was really valuable and just learning from there of like, well, I did this. It didn't sound that good, but I'll do something different or like, let's run something. Let's run the vocals through a guitar pedal because yeah. we want distorted vocals and there's no like plugin to do yeah. that. So um, <laughs> like, and I, I just think now it's so cool that there's like all this information out there, but it can also uh, I think give you like an unrealistic standard of what you're trying to make it sound like, mm-hmm. or even I get afraid now that now like that I have like decent sounding gear and like know what I'm doing um, more than I did at least like I can spend so long tweaking an EQ when really like maybe it just wasn't the right part, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or you just start chasing something where like my favorite records aren't ones that sound like, immaculate yeah. you know and i feel like lots of times the the kind of dead giveaway to me that someone like recorded it on their own 
on Pro Tools in their bedroom is that it sounds like too like clean and nice, you know? Um, and that's the way that my demos sound. Like they sound like really clean and nice. And then like the kind of process of making like a real record is oftentimes just like trying to make it sound not as good. In a Take way, a sledgehammer you know? to it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's that that's that's really really interesting because um, on a, on a previous episode I was talking to an artist. His name is Snow Ellett. He's like kind of, you know, he's an up and comer in the emo scene. And we we're talking about because because a lot of his stuff it's like bedroom emo pop. Yeah. Where at least in at least right now, like you can tell that there's some artificial things going on, but there's enough organic stuff going on to make it more uh, interesting. Yeah. But but I think, you know, kids out there who are by themselves, like you and I are, you know, because I don't have a band now that I'm, I moved away, came back. Now I just do everything on my own. And you're nice. making stuff like you're, you're like, for instance, GarageBand and Logic, they have the smart drummer, right? And mm-hmm. you can, and the conversation we're having is like, yeah, you can have the smart drummer, but like, and you can try to mix it as well as you can to make it sound real. Sometimes it's just impossible to do as, as far as making yeah. that sort of thing sound real. It's good if you need it, but like having that like kind of as, as a crutch, I, I mean, I have nothing against it. I use it when I need to, but at the same time, if you're wanting to make those kind of records where it's less clean, you know, you can do whatever you can to mess up the signal and, and put a bit crusher on there to try to jack it up, but it's, it's, you can yeah. still tell. It's funny with that stuff where like, you can spend so long yeah, doing all those tricks and putting distortion on it and like dequantizing it and all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. And then if you just go through and like, just like record a real snare drum just for like the snare drum and don't even like leave the rest fake. And suddenly it's like, Oh yeah, this feels like kind of real now, yeah. you know, um, where you can just, it, it is really, uh, there's a limit to how real I think you can get some of that fake stuff to sound. For sure. And so I, I mentioned earlier, you know, like the first videos I saw of you, you're in your room, you're, you're playing songs. And so when, when you were writing the songs back then, was that pretty much a real depiction of like how the songs would come about? Just you and a, an acoustic guitar? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always kind of started with me on acoustic guitar um, for a long time. I think I, I think I believe this now again, uh, that, like if a song doesn't work on acoustic guitar, it kind of doesn't work. Um, where like, if you have to really rely on the production to make it a good song, that can be like really interesting to listen to and, and uh, fun to make. And I, I think I have some songs that like, I think are cool and interesting and the production's cool, but like on acoustic, they don't really mm-hmm. work. And I don't think they're that good of songs, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, the Genesis is usually kind of trying to write chords and melody, uh, and like some first draft of words, mm. uh, at the, at the same time. Yeah. And is it that way? Is it that way right now, even further on in your, in your career? Is it essentially the same way? Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I can't ever do music first and then do vocals mm. uh, later. I've tried that and it's just like, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. I know that it works for a lot of other people, but um, yeah, for me, it's still like, maybe it could be coming up with a chord on piano mm. or like a progression on, on piano that that can help 
just because you know you get so acquainted with all the the same chord progressions on guitar that it's just like good to mix yeah. it up um but but even in that case i usually if i figure out something on uh piano then i kind of switch back to guitar because it's just easier for me to play guitar without thinking about it while doing uh coming up with a melody yeah um so are, are you familiar with uh jeff tweedy and wilco are you a fan yeah have totally. you have yeah, you read definitely. his book uh, how to write a song yeah and his autobiography is really i good haven't too, read that but, i haven't yeah. read that yet that's that's next because i'm not a huge wilco fan but i'm very much interested in the the act of like creating and songwriting what yeah. I think is interesting, um, I think one thing that he said in the book of, of how to write a song is like grab another uh, instrument or to, to kind of push yourself out of that um, yeah. that that comfort zone. And it, I I think it's really easy to to fall back on the on the same same open chords. <laughs> I, I'm I succumb to capoitis and open chords. That's kind of kind of what I yeah. do. But I do think you know putting in like a, an open tuning or moving over to like to a, like a, a piano. I think that's definitely a go- good way to switch the brain and, and give some new, um, uh, some inspir- inspiration. Yeah. And it's funny how so much of that is just like a, a brain trick where you end up going to the same progressions that you always do, but it, it feels mm-hmm. new. So then you don't like, you know, think that it's bad just because it's like the same kinds of things you've been doing. Um, but yeah, for every record we make, I try to have like some new piece of gear or like new instrument, like a synthesizer mm-hmm. or like for dig up the dead, I've gotten like a new delay pedal and there's like having something just to mix it up and, and pull some inspiration out of. Yeah. And as far as, um, maybe even back then, like, and you can tell me if there's any similarities from how you would do the process then and now, but, but lyric writing, um, uh, is that something that you just do you get, do you get your ideas from like other pieces of media or is that just all because that's what I do I sometimes like I'll I'll read a cool line in a book and I'll jot that down and that can I can use that as my starting off point I could keep it or lose it but the fact that I'm able to keep going um, what what sparks your um, inspiration um, with 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 the lyrics that's a good one um it depends. Like I do a little bit of, of hearing something, you know, in, in the culture somewhere um, and pulling that out where that'll mainly work. If then there's like a phrase that I think is interesting mm-hmm. that then um, I'll potentially like keep trying to work into songs until it like mm-hmm. works. Um, but it's usually autobiographical or like about someone close to Mm me um that i can you know kind of imagine what's going on with them i don't do a lot of like totally fictional things Mm -hmm. um i mean often i think that i'm writing about something and then you know you figure out oh this is actually what i was thinking about this whole time um that happens a lot where i think uh, the more that like I have an idea of what I'm writing, the the less good it's probably going to mm-hmm. be. Um, but if it's sort of like you know some some spark of inspiration of just like something that's been on my mind, and then just kind of trying to follow it like line to mm-hmm. line without too much of an agenda of like this is what I want the song to be about. That's what usually works, and I think I usually have to get like 
a certain amount of the song done in like that first pass. Um, and then I can go back and edit from there and like totally rewrite verses and stuff like that. But, um, but that's always a lot harder and slower, uh, where like, I need to have that at least like pretty good basis up front. Sometimes I can do the, like, Oh, I wrote this verse that I like and this chorus that I like and bring it together. But often, I think more often than not, I'll try that and it just doesn't quite work, even if I like both the things separately. Yeah, because you hear about people doing that and, then, and it sounds so easy to do. It's like, oh yeah, we took this part of this song and this song and it, voila, it's great. And that's never worked for me either. Like the ones, I, I find the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones that not so much come come easier, but like I'll have a lyric and I'm, I'm working it out and just, and I cut a word out while I'm, while I'm singing it and I'm not aware of it. And all of a sudden I'm playing it live. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and I look back at the old lyric sheet. I'm like, wow, I, that whole line is just like chopped in half, but here we are. <laughs> it just, <laughs> yeah, it, just right. it just works. It, it, ma- it makes sense. So, um, so you, you're, you're talking about like back in the day, like you're, you're, learning pro tools and, and, and all that. Um, and I was listening to songs like never enough and, and 18th birthday, like I, yeah. I know really old school stuff, but I think it's, it's still think it's really interesting because it's clear that at least to be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that obviously you're doing everything by yourself. The old, the, the, the Foo Fighters trick, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. So was it the point to be minimalistic uh, or, or is that just born out of necessity of playing by yourself? Because you probably could have done something really loud at that point, but what was your headspace back then when you're, uh, creating those songs and, and recording them? Yeah, that was like a weird time. Cause, uh, you know, I signed with Doghouse mm-hmm. records who did the first record and, uh, went in with, uh, Mike Sapone who did like all the brand new stuff. Um, and made new best friends, but then Doghouse didn't want to put it out until we had like a, a good tour coming up to support it. And we couldn't get any tours because we didn't have an album. Yet. <laughs> the chicken or the egg. <laughs> yeah. And so we were kind of just waiting where like this album was, uh, done, ready to go, but, um, like it wasn't out. And so I was sort of at home and you know knew that i could record stuff on my own because i had done that before and so we came up with this idea of um putting out an ep like every month Mm. as a thing um and we put out each one in a different format like one was on cassette one was on mini disc uh i think one might have just been digital but so we did that and like you know they were different things where like one was like uh, remixes, one was demos, and then a couple of them were like uh, new material. And it was cool to do because, like, I learned so much from working with Sapone and like felt like I had a new kind of idea for what I wanted things to sound like. Um, but so then, like, you know, there was no budget for it and it was just me. So it was just me trying to make it, make it happen um, at home and there was like pretty strict deadlines where it's like, well, this is going to come out on Friday and it's Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So you've got to call it done. Um, which is like, again, it's like a good limit where there's all sorts of stuff that I would change on those songs, but like, I don't think it'd make it better. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you just got to kind of, it's good to have a deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, 
at this point, of course, like the kind of the waiting game with, with Doghouse and, and the record you did with Sapone, like, did you have the support of your label when you're putting these things out by essentially by yourself or did they like, what, what was that conversation? Yeah, oh, like? yeah. Yeah. So they were super supportive and liked it. And it was like the idea of like, let's use this to try to mm-hmm. get press. Um, and just to have, this was kind of like before the internet was like really yeah. how it is now, but it was still starting to get in that world of like just having more regular yeah. content. Um, oh, sorry. My cat's <laughs> over she gets fed in a, a while, but she gets. Uh, she I've, gets I've got three, so I, um, I, I know they yell at you. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's just this idea of like let's let's have stuff that we can just keep putting out to try to get more press. You know, every time there's like a new press release to go out, uh, and it was free for them, so they were supportive of it. It was fun for mm-hmm. me to do, and and also fun because, like, there was like no. Um, I could like try things in a different way because it's not like, Oh, this is the album. It's like, Oh, this is some weird EP that who knows if anyone's even going to hear it or anything. Um, so there's a bunch of like weird stuff in those songs. Um, never enough felt weird at the time. There's like weird production things going on. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Oh yeah, let's just record this acoustic guitar through a tube screamer. And then like, you know, um, yeah, it was a cool time. I, and it's probably the most like productive I've ever been with music. And I think it was just cause we had deadlines. Yeah. So I guess, I guess if someone's writing songs out there and they're kind of flailing, just set a, set a deadline and tell someone else about it and stick to it. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, so as far as um, that record, new best friends with, with Sapone, um, and you were already like, like we were saying, you're, you're getting your, your experience with pro tools. Like what kind of an education was, was that especially with some of the records he was doing back then and he's st- and still doing like he did the newer Osa Osa record and that sounds great so what did you pick from that um his brain and, and that experience it was cool I mean just like getting to ask him about different stuff that uh they've done like different cool techniques uh different gear um there's definitely some gear that I still use. I think he actually had one of those box pathfinders. Mm. Um, we used a bunch of like small amps, which I think that influenced me a lot where like we used some small weird box amps. Uh, we used the Fender Champ that I got a couple of years later. Cause I, I really loved yeah. using that one. Um, we got to use a bunch of brand new gear cause it was there, which was really yeah. cool. Um, I know, you know, now it's all like in a different light, but, um, at the time, super cool just to, you know, get to use that stuff and, and and pick his brain where he had been involved in all these, uh, you know, albums that I I cared about a lot. There's still like certain types of guitar parts that I will label like in the like session, like Sapone guitar, because uh, there's just certain kind of atmospheric things that, that he does really well. Yeah. W- would I be wrong in thinking like the end of holidays, like that reverby, would that be a Sapone guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Anything cool <laughs> happening on that record was him. Like I'm interested in getting to record with him now. Cause I was just like, like yeah. pretty young recording with him. Didn't know anything that I was doing. And so I was like probably overly passive in the process where it's sort of just like, 
yeah, I'll play the instruments and sing yeah. and you tell me what to do and plug in the pedals and stuff that you, you want. Um, which, you know, he was the right guy to be the, the yeah. partner for that. But I'm interested in getting to do a more collaborative kind of thing. Yeah, with and, and, and how old were you then too? I was 22 when we recorded. Yeah. Uh, Did you feel a pressure being that young and being in the, in this studio like that with a producer like him? I mean, well, so the studio was at his house, which was really good. That made me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but I think, uh, I had a lot more social anxiety at that point. So just the, like, like, uh, my buddy Anthony played drums, but he was there for like the first two days. And then we went home. And so then it was like three weeks of just me and Sapone in his basement all day, every day, six days a week. And and that's just like mm-hmm. spending that much time with anybody is just like exhausting. And if you're introverted, yeah. like it's just like, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's super exhausting. Um, so I, I think like I probably felt that part of it more. The pressure, I feel like I was young enough that it's just like, oh, yeah, this is like my life. It's it's going great i got signed to a label they are paying for my favorite Mm -hmm. producer to do it i'm sure it's going to be successful and like you know just that like confidence that comes from from being young um so like i don't think i felt that much pressure except that i got kind of sick during it um and so it was really Mm -hmm. hard to record vocals and i remember some people from doghouse came to the studio to listen to what we had been doing and uh my vocals were sounding pretty rough right there and and that was the one moment mm-hmm. where i kind of panicked like oh my god they're gonna i don't know cut the funding or something like, but yeah that seems to be the the common story too like uh, i remember hearing an interview about like touche amore and, and they couldn't get the vocals right on a talking about like working with brad wood and they had to go back and redo them because of someone's sick or whatever that seems to be the the common thing. And one thing that, that's interesting, like we're, we're talking about like the going back to like the monthly releases and using the small amps. Cause back then I, I don't think many people were using small amps, like low wattage amps. And that seems to be like the thing right now. I can't remember like the last time hearing about someone playing like a JCM 900 yeah. or I think or it's because now so. everyone records themselves. So they want stuff that's not that loud yeah. so they can record it <laughs> at home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But they can be sneaky loud yeah, too. Like loud, I, yeah. I, I want, yeah, like uh I had um Fender Blues Junior, the one with the two yeah. knobs, the there's a tone and volume, and I'd have sound guys telling me to turn down and I kind of look at the amp behind me and like this little guy, yeah, okay. Totally. <laughs> I've had that experience. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny. Like but it's it's cool though, because you can definitely hear like the champ on that record. And like now that you say that's what you use, it's totally it's totally obvious and, it, and it's, it's really cool. And that's why I think it, it holds up, but, um, you know, moving into, uh, dig up the dead, like you, you took all that experience and, and, and you recorded that thing yourself. Uh, as far as I know, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, you recorded yeah that, yourself? that was myself. Um, and that was totally, well, let's just step on the keyboard. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that was out of necessity. Cause like the first record yeah. didn't perform particularly well. Uh, it was a weird phase of the music industry where, you know, um, it was like the height of kind of like the piracy era. So like 
records mm-hmm. weren't making money. Doghouse was having a lot of success managing artists. Like they were managing that Never Shout Never. Do you remember that guy? Mm. Um, yeah. And so they weren't as interested in label stuff. So it was like, okay, if I really want to make a record, and I didn't know if I wanted to be on Doghouse anymore anyways. So it was like, I guess mm-hmm. I'll just try to make it uh, myself. And so that was what I did. Yeah. Did you feel... So it's funny how you're describing that. Like it's, it sounds like to me you were confident enough in that decision to, to do that, especially with the prior experience you had uh, picking up whatever tips from Sapone and, and recording yourself before that. Was that something you were confident in, in knowing that you could do that? Because I saw the old fid- the old footage that you just posted yeah. of what that, what that looked yeah. like and especially the technology back then. Yeah, were you were you confident or were you uh, overwhelmed? Uh, I won't say I was confident, um, especially in the mixing process. Uh, I was a little overwhelmed by that, um, but I think it was just sort of like, like there was a big question in the air for me at that time of like, should I keep playing music? Where it's kind of like, this doesn't seem like it's really working out, and do I need this to be like? my main gig like does, do yeah. what's the difference to me of just like making music and putting it out versus like making music and having that try to be my job and touring um yeah. and i couldn't i struggle with that a lot because a lot of it's just kind of like ego stuff that um sort of isn't great reasons or, or motivations but so like the whole making of the thing was kind of steeped in that type of existential question where Mm. I I was like, well, I'm going to just try to make this thing with some songs that I have. And it might be that no one ever hears it, you know, if it's not any good. Um, And so it didn't feel like there's no pressure on it. There wasn't because there was no expectations. So I think that kept it from being uh, overwhelming. Um, like the open-endedness of self-recording, I, I think that uh, would get overwhelming a little bit. And and when it was time for mixing, I did try to have some other people mix some of it and just like hated what mm-hmm. they did with it. Um, so then it was like, hmm. okay, I've got to do this, even though I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, but yeah, it was kind of just what happened. Yeah. And not to throw anyone under, under the bus, but like, cause I think it would be an easy decision just to like, get it off your plate and be done with it and have someone else do it. So considering how that record sounds right now, and it definitely has like a rawness to it. Was it, were they too clean in how they were mixing it and you weren't into it or yeah? what was, what was the, yeah. I mean, like to be fair, I think anyone mixing those songs, like if I think, I think if I tried to mix them now, I would be like, what the fuck? Like there's this, um, Like, some of the ones, there's just so much going on. There's so many layers of things. And it's all that kind of, like, mixing-as-you-go type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there are, like, guitar tracks that, like, without the other context of what's going on, like, don't really make much sense. And the, and the individual mm-hmm. sounds aren't, like, good enough to just be, like, oh, okay, let's, like, do the drums and the guitars and, like, do it like that. Like, it, it took kind of mm-hmm. more um production tricks i guess uh 
like I'm sure some like really good mixers really could have made it sound better. Like the people, you know, I was trying to get, they weren't like hot shot mixers or anything either. It was like sure. people that we could afford, um, which wasn't much, but, but yeah, it's like a weird, but the thing that I, I am really glad that uh, I did with it is that I really like when albums sound like a certain place and like you get all that kind of room sound. So mm -hmm. I think I did a good job of kind of embracing like the apartment that we were in where it like really sounds like that apartment and like mm -hmm. not trying to get things to sound like hi-fi, you know, like mm -hmm. sort of embracing that it's like, yeah, I've got one preamp that's not that good and one amp yeah. that's not that good. And just like kind of roll with that instead of trying to make it into something it wasn't. Yeah. Cause I, when I listen to that, I can definitely hear that room in, in the drums, especially because obviously that's where you're going to hear the most of it. But like the drum sounds on, on wormhole, mm, um, uh, dig up the dead. It even like, you know how there's like little, little pieces of ear candy here in the song, but like, uh, there's a, I think going into the second chorus of City Don't Care with the, the two snare mm -hmm. hits, like, gah, bah, gah. like, especially when the drummer, whoever, like, who you had drumming was hits a little bit harder, you can just hear that. I think that imperfection, like, like we were talking about before, you don't really hear that anymore, at least like in records that would, that would be deemed to be like well produced, quote unquote. Well, unquote. you want to know something funny. Uh, yeah. The drums on City Don't Care are fake drums. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. So, the, so take that's that's really funny. Because going back to that old conversation I was having with the previous guest, like his friend was was co commenting on one of my songs about like, oh yeah, the drums sound sound fake. So so if that friend is listening right now, <laughs> screw you. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's it's a weird uh so like some of the drum drums on that album were uh, my buddy Sal who had played uh mm -hmm. he, he's in that video clip. And then some yeah. were me playing myself with like one mic at the apartment, and then other ones are uh, drum machines that I, uh, you know, painstakingly tried to to get to sound. Okay, that's amazing. That's it's so amazing. So would it be like a, a sampled drum, like a real drum sound, but just like mm -hmm. placed on the grid, and then you you throw some reverb on there? And yeah, just sequence out. This was before um, like the kind of smart drummer stuff. So I had to like sequence yeah. everything. And so I think like, you know, knowing how to play drums helps because then you don't do things that like aren't physically possible, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, kind of doing it on the grid. I don't know if I've done other ones where I like played it on keyboard, um, like yeah. triggering it to get a little bit more of that realness, but it was probably doing it on the grid and then, you know, moving stuff around to make it not sound as big. Well, mind, mind blown. Now it's going to be like a, a game of what, what songs are real? What songs are yeah, not? Yeah. So, so I, I, pre, I, so I previously mentioned Worm, Wormhole and Dig Up the Dead because those songs are a little bit more um, new, nuanced. Mm -hmm. At least Wormhole at first, like the, the first half of yeah. it. Um, so, would I be correct in saying that those are real? Because I feel like those yeah. are, yeah, yeah, those are totally real. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, at least I'm two for three. <laughs> on, on <the laughs> um, and what I really like about that record, as far as the things that you did on it, because are you a fan of the National? At yeah, all? yeah, I love the National. Yeah. So I feel like at least on Boxer, there's lots of these like little sound trinkets mm -hmm. that if you're not paying attention, you're not going to catch them. But just weird like 
not orchestral, but just like rever- reverberations happening. Yeah. The, the, the bubble underneath. And especially on the song Wormhole, when like that delay guitar is just like blooming like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like there's like a vocal underneath that. I don't, that, that you might like. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. want to sing on the podcast, but like um, it's just little things like that happening all over the record um, that really caught my ear. So when you're doing things like that, like little overdub, like vocal overdub- overdubs and delays and, and reverbs, like were there particular bands or sounds of records that you were wanting to channel as far as the best that you could at that point? Yeah. Um, so. I've been into Spoon for a long time, and they're one of those ones that do a really good job of, uh, like, minimalist, but with, you know, weird ear candy to keep you around. Um, mm. And at the time of Dig Up the Dead, I was listening to a lot of them. I was listening to a lot of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, which is mm, sort of random, but they have a couple albums that I, that I really love. And they do that cool kind of like Jesus and Mary chain, like wall of sound kind of thing. And so that like layering a bunch of guitars that are doing like similar things, but different, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely came from some of that. Uh, yeah. And a lot of it's just like, like problem solving where it's like, Oh, this part is like hitting, but not quite enough. Like what's another layer that can help it hit more, you know, just until it, until it feels right. Yeah, and as far as I as I know, and you can correct me on this, was this the 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 first re- uh, first record with Robin on it? Uh, yeah, she had been on some stuff kind of before New Best Friends, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, this was the first one. I don't think she played bass on it. Um, I don't think so. Uh, she sang on it though, for sure. She did some backup vocals. So was that the so you were still writing solo at this point? When when did that? Um, are you are you writing with her now? And when did that change? Or is that something you're still doing? Are you still writing solo even now? Yeah. So she's always been super involved in the process. Like even when she wasn't actually playing in the band. Um, mm-hmm. But where uh, she's really good at editing. Um, so mm. the songs always like kind of start with me getting it to a certain place. And then I usually lose perspective at a certain point when I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, and we have really similar tastes. And so it's really useful where she can be that objective ear where she hasn't been working on the song. So she can tell mm. me that it sucks. And, uh, <laughs> and she's generally right about that. Um, and so that's still kind of the process that we go through now where, you know, she's the first to hear any song that I'm working on and then, uh, you know, can have a lot of the kind of thumbs up, thumbs down, but also a lot of ideas to, to, for new parts and, and building it from there. Mm-hmm. Was that strange for you to, to, to bring her in that process from when you were probably younger and in your bedroom with the acoustic and then all of a sudden you bring it to someone else and, and they tell you it sucks or not, or like, are you generally less of someone driven by ego? Maybe someone like myself who probably have a difficult time with that. No, I mean, I think, well, okay. So, so we're married. I don't know if you know that. Um, mm. And, and we've been, you know, we were dating for a long time. Uh, yeah. And so I think then that level of like intimacy or, or whatever you want to call it mm. uh, made it kind of different where like um, listening to music uh and like talking about bands and stuff was definitely something like early in our relationship that we really like bonded about and mm-hmm. helped bring us close. So then this was kind of just an extension of that where it's like, 
yeah. oh, here's music that, that I'm working on. I trust your taste. So uh, what do you think? Whereas I still don't think I can really like involve other people in the writing process outside of that. Yeah. Even when we've, you know, had like drummers and people who were like, you know, really integrated in the band, it was still like, I'll send you the completed demo <laughs> once I've like yeah. figured out the song, but nothing really <laughs> before them. That, that's, that's really, really interesting. Cause I had, I had a friend that was, that's a fan of the band too. And he was asking about working with the Appleseed cast drummer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm forgetting the name yeah, right John now. John Momberg. Yeah. Yeah. And he's amazing drummer. I've seen them live before and he's just, yeah, he's a beast. Insane. He's a, he's a beast. And so to hear, so to hear you say that is like, okay, here's the finished thing. Here you go. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's, Cause, cause I've done that myself where I, I like to demo out as much as possible, whether it be, cause sometimes I'll do like what, what you're saying, putting things on the grid. Like I'll do like a, a, a kick and snare. That's it. Like super minimalistic. And if someone wants to put their own yeah. spin on it, great. But I've, I kind of felt guilty of like maybe shackling like some drummers to, to that, but that makes me feel a, a little bit better that, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that you do that. Yeah, I don't know. Selfishly. Like, I, I had dreams for a long time of having things be more collaborative, like a real band. But I think even like lots of the like real bands that you see, it's not really like that anyways. You know, there's kind of yeah. one person running a lot of it. And so I, the like balance that has made sense for me is like when it's the record, like that's really my thing that I care most about. And so mm-hmm. I will be controlling when it comes to the, to the record. And I've just kind of yeah. accepted that. Although it still will be like, like with Momberg, he played on Doom Loop, and mm-hmm. I sent him the demos. It was like, here's the idea of the drums, and then it was like the completed song outside of the drums. And then he just went into the studio without me there and recorded drums. And he did stuff that I never would have thought of that was amazing, that yeah. really added to it. But it was still having to do it kind of on top of what my idea already was. Yeah. Um, but then for playing live, for playing live, like I feel like that's more about a shared experience of like the band. So then... Mm-hmm then I'll let people kind of do whatever they want. And, you know, yeah. it's not such a big deal. Yeah, it's temporary. It's a moment in time versus, like, this, like, thing that's going to live on for, for years and years. Yeah. So you want to make sure those punches count. And I don't want to be playing knowing that the person next to me on stage is miserable because I told them that that drum fill was stupid or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no resentment, bad idea in a band and, and going on tour for a month yeah, right. at a time. Yeah. So, um, one thing that's really interesting to me as well, um, because obviously I, I don't play music full time. You're, you're not touring a lot lately and you, lot lately, and you mentioned even during dig up the dead, you're questioning, um, if, if it's something that you wanted to do. And it seemed like to me, lyrically that was showing up later. I don't think it's quite obvious, at least to me on, on, on dig up the, on dig up the dead. And I read an interview um, last year when Big Bad came out on on the Alternative. You're talking about how, you know, you didn't want your passion to become the the main thing in your life. And you you have a nine to five. Um, you know, I have a nine. You know, I, I've worked nine to five. I'm doing nine to five. I'm a copywriter by nice, by, by trade, and that's something I personally have struggled with, especially like. You know, I've been on tour, I've released albums, I've opened for cool bands, but then once you get to a certain point, like, 
it can kind of mess with either your ego, your, your brain, mental health, or things like that. And so um, when did you decide the way you're creating right now is what you wanted for yourself? Like what was the impetus of, of that? Was it like once you release Dig Up the Dead or was it a little bit later like, no, this is going to be something I do on the side? Like what was the, the story behind that? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because uh, like I believe my attitude towards it now. I believe that it's true, but it's also convenient. Um, cause like, I'll, I'll say like, I don't think I really chose it. I think it kind of like chose me where that's mm. sort of how it played out where, um, you know, we did doom loop, uh, and I was working like working like, uh, temp gigs that w- were pretty good, but, um, it was still like, I'm going to be doing that just to make money on the side and then go on tour. And so, mm. Uh, we toured a bunch on on Doomloop up through like 2014, and then it was sort of, I guess, what really started to put it in my head. Some was that like when I was working these office jobs, you know, I would like work really hard and try to do my best, and then I would be like rewarded for it, where yeah. they would say that I was doing a good job or like you know yeah. give me more responsibility or whatever. Um, and I found that to be kind of mind-blowing because with music I had been toiling away you know working my ass off uh doing everything I could you know writing and recording songs all the time doing every stupid tour we could get Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of like like no one cares like it, it doesn't matter you have to be working a certain amount of uh working hard just to like do anything but after that it's just kind of like you know, luck, right place, right time, you know, some inherent talent kind of thing. Um, but it's not like if you just keep working hard and music, it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't think that's great for your head where yeah. then it's like, you're, you're trying really hard and building your whole identity off of this thing that you really have no control over yeah. at all. And so then when I started working and it was like, oh, like, I have some control over this, where there's still, you know, luck and, and whatever, like, yeah. office politics or things. Um, but there is more of, you know, you can show up, work hard, and uh, and that can work out. And so that didn't seem that bad to me. That seemed mm-hmm. like, okay, this is interesting. And so then I kind of just progressed, kept progressing, like, in my job, like, from one thing to the next, where it got kind of a little bit better each step of the way. And then when we would, you know, be talking about tours, it was like, well, okay, if I'm going to, like, use my vacation time to, like, go on tour, like, it, it better be, like, a good tour. Um, and a lot of those, like, really good tours, like, we would almost get and wouldn't get, you know. Um, we did some that were were pretty cool in, like, you know, 2014 or so. Um, but then after that point, it was like, like what I want to be like first of three on a bill for whatever. And just to go out and like, it'll be fun. Like playing shows is fun, but it's probably not going to like put us over the top of suddenly this is successful enough to be my day job. Um, And I don't know that I would enjoy it more than like my life now. If that, uh, you know, if we did suddenly become a big band or something. So it was kind of like this gradual thing where it's like, work got better and better music 
uh, was going well, but it wasn't like, you know, accelerating or anything. So it seemed like a pretty natural, just like, you know, six months of not touring turns into a year, turns into yeah. a couple of years. And eventually it's like, Oh yeah. Why would I go on tour? What? Like, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's funny. Cause, um, with conversations with, with my wife, like she's not in, you know, come coming from any music scene or anything like that. But the thing that she loves to do, she loves, she loves being outdoors and, and camping and the way I, and I don't, I'd rather be like recording and stuff. And, and the way that I think about camping is probably the way that you and I would probably think about touring right now. It's a lot of work for a little reward. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. It's kind of like, why bother? Like, I mean, I would love to like go out on tour and like hang out and have a glorified vacation. But if like, you, like you're saying, if you're going to use vacation time to, you know, to do that, that's, that begins to be a rough proposition. Yeah. It's like, I could go on actual vacation. (laughs) I could relax. Yeah. (laughs) Not do any overnight drives. Yeah. And I think like if we hadn't toured as much as we had, I would feel very differently about it where, Mm -hmm. um, I feel very much like I've checked that box of experience. And at the same time, there is something about like having put out a record a year ago and not played any shows. It feels kind of like incomplete. Like there's something Mm -hmm. we haven't done yet. Yeah. Um, but that can be playing a couple shows. It doesn't have to be a tour <laughs> thing. Yeah. Cause it's funny that you say one and three and that was yeah, when I, yeah. when I, when I first heard that song, like it really spoke to me because I was kind of dealing with that too. Cause I was at one point I had quit playing shows for a year and then like, or even just quitting music, but I was still writing even though I didn't want to. So this is one of those things I didn't, I decided not to ignore, but I was still kind of like mourning me, like mm-hmm. mourning this dream, yeah. you know, like, cause I had done cool things. Like I, uh, you know, I mentioned this on the podcast other times, but like I had done warp tour one year for three weeks. Like that's pretty nice, cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Like I can put my hand hat on that. I can check, like you're saying, I could, yeah. I can check that box, but there's something to be said of like, I don't know if that song for you is, comes from a place of mourning you know, the one and three, especially bringing back the close the door references like in the, in the bridge. Yeah. But, um, was that song coming, coming from that place for you? Well, so dig up the dead was hundred percent from that place. Like that, Mm. that album to me is a breakup record, but with the breaking up with this like dream of how my life was going to go. Um, and this sort of identity of being like this young precocious, uh, a musician who you know falls into success kind of thing um so dig up the dead really was that that kind of morning thing that you're talking about for sure mm-hmm. by, by the time of one of three i think was a little more it felt less sad and more like closure mm-hmm. in a way um and more acceptance where I distinctly remember finishing the song and like saying to myself, like, well, that's the last mansion song. You know? It feels like it. I like, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I heard that. I was like, okay, if this is it, then this is, this is it. And, and I thought about that. Like, cause it would have, it felt like the, the end. Um, and for me, it does feel like that kind of wrapped up a certain chapter um, where now it feels a little different and like we can do kind of different stuff, but it feels a little bit distinct to me. Yeah. Um, 
where that was the last one where, you know, like we still had like a manager um, on that around that record, like a manager and like booking agent and stuff, even though we weren't really doing things. And then mm. kind of gradually, like we, we scrapped all that stuff. And so now it really feels more in this like truly independent doing it on the side kind of world and mm. less of like a hanging on to the industry or whatever. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny, like, I think there's a through line from your earliest stuff to really until one and three, um, that, that seems obvious. Like you're dealing with like the scene politics or the industry of, of some, of some sort. Cause, um, it, it's funny listening to the older stuff. Like you're, you're healing off to use a wrestling term. Cause I remember one time we, <laughs> it was, we had one small interaction on Twitter a long time ago talking about like wrestling. So that's like when you put uh, out, nice. when you put out heel theme, I was like, yeah, I know what he's talking yeah, about yeah. there. But like, it, it seems like, from the beginning, you've always had that little like piss and vinegar at times talking about these sort of things. So again, with, with one and three, that seemed like to be like what you're saying, like the end of that end of that story. And it's, and it seems like to me, like with, um, you know, big bad, like there's a, it feels freer. It feels obviously more different because you're bringing in those synth aspects. And then, um, and then we were talking on Instagram, talking about the Vox amp, like, oh, yeah, like I, I saw you talking to other people that you can't play that loud, like in your living situation. And so was there a correlation with Big Bad and like not really having a lot of drum sounds because you're you have the limitations of where you're recording and not having that like big, open, real drums? Like, is, is that? Yeah, does that make I definitely know what you mean. It's kind of weird because now actually like I can be loud because we're in a house now. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten so used to not being loud because mm. for for Dig Up the Dead and Doom Loop and Deserter, uh, it was like not in a house. It was like in an apartment with very thin walls that uh, I just got really used to recording guitars quietly that it makes me uncomfortable to have them loud. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like not as much of a limitation from that anymore. Um, but uh, with the like drums aspect, it was a little complicated where like uh, John Momberg, the Appleseed cast drummer who we talked about before, he uh, was out busy on, on tour. He tour managed a rapper. Um, and so like, it was going to be logistically challenging to have him play drums. And the songs just like felt like they weren't these big rock things. Mm -hmm. um, and there would be times while working on them that I would kind of, like you can probably hear the parts in the songs where it's like, Oh, this is where the drums come in. Like, this is where it gets loud, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then whenever like Rob and I would listen to them, it'd just be like, wait, like why, why do we have to do that? Like yeah. um, where I think we tried really hard to like challenge those sort of go-to instincts of like, Oh, for this part to be big, it needs to have like a big, loud breakdown thing. Yeah. Um, Cause like most of the music that we like to listen to these days, like isn't like that anyways. Mm -hmm. So like, why am I trying to make music that I don't really like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially there's no point in that now. So yeah. like um, it did feel uh, freer, I would say to just like try whatever, let's see if we can make this part big just with keyboards and synthesizers, you know, like uh, it was a cool challenge. Well, especially since you're not having to play live anymore. Um, at least, like, you're not thinking about, like, 
oh, we need this part to pump the crowd up or whatever else, because I know some people will write in that way, like, you know, well, people lose their shit <laughs> over, over this part. Yeah. And I've always tried to, like, keep in my head, like, the live versus record thing, mm-hmm. like, it's two different things yeah. where, you know, we've been playing as a trio for a long time. So there's, like, so many parts that we can't play live, you know? Um, and it's always, like, if we play some of these big bad songs live, like, I'm sure we'll have big drums come in on some of those big parts because sure. it's not going to work live otherwise, yeah. you know? And you can do that, and it's great. And then it's like it works on the record, and it works differently live, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that, that that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I've kept you for I've kept you for a while, but I got one last question. Um, yeah. So it seems like to me, dig up the dead has has had a life of its own. Like it's it seems to have lived on. And you know, I've had conversations with folks that are you know ten years younger than me and in, 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 into music, and they they bring it up. You know, especially when I told Man. them we're gonna talk talk with you. And you know, especially with where you are in your life, in your professional career, in, in your music, like, do you feel like, hey, do, do you see that for yourself? Of course, I'm, I'm sure you see all the Spotify, like, data and, and things like that. Um, do you feel like that record is giving you permission to keep going, um, especially with more and more people finding out about the record as time goes on and they discover the rest of the discography? Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know that I've been aware of like people finding out about it now mm-hmm. in that way. Like that's cool. Cool to hear. Um, I have definitely been aware that like, that's the record for us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and I would like to have something else come out that would like resonate more with people mm-hmm. than that you know because like of course you always want your new stuff to to do more but also i recognize that that's probably unlikely to happen and like it's cool to to have made anything that um you know anyone still listens to 10 years later like that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. um and and it's like really funny and bizarre to me because that album you know, I made a first version of it, sent it to a bunch of labels. Nobody responded. Nobody wanted it. Mm. Uh, then one uh, kind of friend was shopping it around more, thought we potentially needed some more songs for it. So I wrote, wrote some more songs. And we got it in to be the album that it is now, mm. chopped it around more. Nobody wanted it. Uh, a friend of mine was starting a label and was like, oh, yeah, like I'll put it out. So it's like, oh, great, put it out. We go on tour. Nobody's there. No one cares. Like no one's interested in the band at all. And like it it's done this weird thing of like growing slowly over time mm. where it's not like, Oh, we had a hit record and now that's going to be our like hit record forever. Um, so it's like really funny to me that it's like people talk about it. Like it's this thing and it's like, Oh yeah, you like no one was there. <laughs> when we were playing these shows. Like no labels wanted to put it out. So it's just like, it's a funny flip in my mind where at the time putting it out, it was sort of just like, yeah, we'll put this out, but like nothing's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see it be in a, a, a state where people, you know, care about it uh, and, and respect it. You know, it's fun. It's kind of like so, something like, for instance, when Weezer put out Pinkerton, right? Like Rolling Stone crapped all over it. Yeah. Like really no one, cared maybe except for 
I remember getting the tape when I was like sixth, seventh grade, but like I wasn't aware yeah, right. of people like for instance, like Rolling Stone like named it the worst record of that year. And then they came they did a re-review of that and it it only grew, right? And so I think those those are the yeah. signs of like the you know, the best albums where the songs live and 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 they grow and and I think that's a really cool thing that you can at least say for yourself, you know, especially since at that time you were you're the breakup record, as you as you say, you know, there's some irony in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool that like if people are still finding out about it now, like it's cool that that can still happen mm-hmm. in you know, the kind of algorithmic world today that um that people can find out about new stuff that uh you know maybe wasn't successful at the time. <laughs> no, that no, that's great. And and you're still able to you know, repress records. Like I, I saw you like repress Doom Loop and you put out the acoustic version of Dig Up the Dead. And I think that's that's really cool to be able to to have. So um and, and I'm I'm sure that feels good to be able to still create music and and enjoy it rather than, you know, have a negative I don't know, a negative experience with it because that's not why we did this at first, you know. We we, we started writing songs because we enjoy it. And I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But yeah, yeah, it's super nice. I super appreciate it. And it does feel like it gives permission to to keep trying to make some stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> well, well, Chris, no, it was it was super awesome talking to you and, and picking your brain and you know the process and the history and and some of the inspirations behind the songs and um, and uh, and and maybe we can chat music and and wrestling some more in the, in, the, in the future. But uh, it was it was really great talking to you. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much for for talking. I really appreciate it.